honest, the idea of buying felt peaceful. It yeah. actually felt, this is going to be good for everyone if mm-hmm. I just die. What is up, everyone? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Bro. <laughs> My man. What is up everyone? It is Lachlan Samuel and this is the Open Up Podcast with my man Jude Young, one of the co-founders of Plants With Purpose, my spirit brother. <laughs> How are you doing my 100%. man? 100%. Yo, what's good everybody? I'm doing very well. It's been a long day today but I'm feeling good bro. It's good to finally be here being a part of the process, this thing you've been talking about for so long. So, so good. Yeah, we're about to change lives my man. Indeed, indeed, let's do it. Anything I've left out of that intro that you think is important that people should know? Anything out of the intro people should know about me? Yes. No, that's good. That's where I'm at right now. Co-founder, creative head at Plants With Purpose. That's yep. a little uh, little side hustle me and my girlfriend do. I'm a barista most of the day, so yep. I've got the important job of pumping caffeine into people's veins early hours in the morning usually. Nice. But yeah, that's me. Awesome. So, just to kick things off, mm-hmm. obviously you're here to tell your story. You're here to open up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what this podcast or show is about. Yeah. You have a story. You have a an underlying struggle that you need to um, open up and share with not just the podcast community, but people who are going through a similar struggle. So, yeah. Before we get into that, we need to go back through your childhood, how <coughs> you grew up, influences, events. And then look back at how you see those influences and events now. So can you run us through your childhood? For sure, bro, going back. Um, I think it's like I was just saying to you downstairs, I I think it's really important to say, I honestly legit never ever thought that I'd have a story. (laughs) Uh, I I felt like I grew up pretty happy-go-lucky. So, um, you know, I'm a Kiwi boy, Māori boy from... A little town south of Lake Taupo. We always mention Taupo first because pe- most people tend to know it. Yeah. But then I say I'm from Tūrangi, and actually, surprisingly, a lot of people know Tūrangi because of our mountain ranges. Um, a lot of tourists go there and stuff. So, going back, just a happy kid. I've got um, two sisters. They're younger than me. I am actually the oldest in the family. I was born in uh, South Auckland. Yeah. Papakura. Represent little shout out to Papakura. <laughs> My man. I was born in yeah, South Auckland, um, but I think it was one of those places. Um, Mum was quite young when she had me. She was 16, just turned 16 when she, she and my dad had me. He was about 17, and they decided to move back to his sort of hometown where he grew up, and that that's Tūrangi. Yeah. I grew up with uh, rivers and mountain in view, and my first language was Te Reo. So I, I definitely speak Te Reo Māori. Yeah. Um, although, I don't know if there's a lot of people who resonate with this. I've, I've lost the language a little bit. You know, as you grow up, you kind of blend into the Western world. So that was me, man. I was like pretty happy. A big part of my life was video games and cartoons yeah. and drawing and art. When I was young, at the age of two, I, um, I used to draw pictures and my mum thought it was pretty normal. But I was like drawing, you know, when I was sketching a person, if I was doing a face, I, I would include the iris and the Plunkett nurse said to mum, 
you know that's not normal for a two-year-old, three-year-old to be drawing well, re- realistically. It's amazing, though, yeah. yeah. So art, art is a huge thing, and I, I don't think, I don't think I was an artist. I was always just trying to capture moments, like just by you know pen and paper, and, and that's really what it was about. I was just into drawing, and you got heaps of cousins, and then there's cartoons. Growing up in the nineties, yeah, bam, I was just drawing cartoons and stuff like that. So that was kind of me. Um, I wasn't your typical Maori boy. I wasn't your typical Kiwi kid where I did not play rugby, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, I've got, you know, my dad's, my uncle's that fully rugby heads. They used to scream in the, in the lounge like, go All Blacks, you know, they would cheer them on, but I was always like scared. <laughs> but I was always just like drawing all the time. That was kind of my thing. And there's a lot of art in the family as well, including music, singing. Dad was a drummer. Yeah. Okay. So you had those male... I guess, role models in your life, in your household, who view rugby like most of New Zealand does yeah. as the pinnacle. The pinnacle. They they have this son or this boy in their family who's not attuned to rugby, yeah. which is quite odd in New Zealand. Rather, you're attuned to drawing and art. How did that, how did that impact you? Was there any notion that you were aware of that what you were doing wasn't right or wasn't accepted? Um, I think lucky for me it was okay because we've got um, we've got a lot of artists in the family. Yep. So if I wasn't if I wasn't left enough, I was certainly right enough. If that makes okay. sense. So it, it was definitely split down the middle. We're we're an artistic family. Um, my my kōrō was a coach, I think, or you know he, he was he's a teacher as well. So. Okay. Kuro, for those listening, that means grandfather in our language. Awesome, so, I was going to ask you to yeah, explain that. I thought I'd better <laughs> just throw that down. So Kuro is our granddad. And um, yeah, he he was a coach and I was five. And my mum my used to play sports. She was a tomboy. So she th- even, I was probably weird to her because she was yeah. quite a tough chick growing up in South Auckland. And she took me to rugby trials and I just hated it, bro. I was straight up crying. <laughs> I was just crying the whole time. My quarter was like, shut up, just pass the ball, run. And I, I don't know what it was, the commotion, all of that stuff kind of just freaked me out. And just, nah, I begged mum, don't take me back down to the field. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and um, I just kept drawing. And so, yeah, it was accepted that, oh, he's more into his arts than uh, sort of the physical. <laughs> Did the way they viewed you as being an artist rather than a rough and tumble rugby player impact your mindset at all looking back um, now in some places but so this is the thing about me i and sports i i throwing a ball around i couldn't get it i didn't get it bro but when it came to like cousins and like having fights and physical fights i love we call it jiu-jitsu today but i loved wrestling putting them in choke holds i was i'm still a boy yeah. And it's funny, as I grow up throughout my life, even when I was studying architecture back in 2013, somebody wanted to study me because everything I made, all the designs, we made some sculptures, we did some art. Um, a lot of the remarks was that it was poetic and beautiful. Wow. And a lot of people got confused, like, did a girl design this or something like that? You could, I, I feel like there's a lot of straight line. For me, I could tell a guy or that I had done it. Obviously, yeah. maybe it was just because it was me. But there, there seems to be a thread of that. My stepdad, <laughs> bro, growing up, my stepdad, he's your typical, he's an art, he's a musician to this day, but yep. he used to take the piss out of me because, um, you know, he used to call me a, a little pufta because I was such a, I was a pretty sensitive kid. Yeah. But when it came to fighting, he himself, he's a black belt taekwondo, 
six foot four, 150 kg man. He's, he used to play fight with us. And my dad's a really violent dude. Like he's thinking of the scrap all the time. South Auckland, college, all of those things. Yeah. So I saw a bit of that. But I wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe or, you know, dust someone up. But at the same time, I didn't have to act tough. Yeah. So talking about your childhood and, I guess, being the artist, not the rugby player, but still having that um, air of, I guess, grit and toughness, that steel, without without having to show it. Yeah. Yeah. How would you interpret how you were raised or how do you look back at it now and assess yeah how you were raised and how that's impacted mm. who you are today i think a major thing to take into account is uh with a lot of maori families and maori communities we have what's called whangai whangai meaning uh simply it's it's like you you sometimes live with your grandparents yeah you might live with them for a year two maybe three but at some stage it is completely normal <laughs> for your grandparents to kind of like right you're staying here and mum and dad's like, you're going to your quarters to live. <laughs> and so uh, my grandparents on my father's side, my nanakuro, they, um, they have a massive um, impact on my childhood because we lived and stayed with them so much. So put things into context, they're older. My grandmother, she was a Catholic, Catholic woman since young. And my kuro is a ringatū from like the East Coast. He's hoary ass, rugged, rough fella, but they're both teachers. And they're, they're quite strict. Their worldview was your typical, like, you've got to grow up, you've got to get a job, you've got to go to university, and, and there's a sort of linear way life should happen. Maybe for them it was true, but I guess for a kid, a millennial, but it, it, I, I don't think it was all, always true. Yeah. My mum and my biological dad, they're teenagers, leaving the big smoke of Auckland and going somewhere um, a bit more in nature. My mum was someone who always said, man, and I think about this in my gratitude, my daily gratitude. Mm-hmm. I think about my mum a lot lately. She would always telling you that you decide what you want to do, that oh, wow. you choose your life. She's bangs on about it, bro, all yeah. the time. I remember <laughs> after a hiding or something like that, I'd play up and she'd give me a hiding with a shoe. She has to have this Reeboks. <laughs> she'd come in, like I'd be home really late. There was one time because I went, to the river instead of coming straight home but i got a whooping because she was scared she called the cops all that stuff i got a massive hiding i'm like i just remember my mum having these really deep talks after moments like that and they're pretty it, it's funny when you're a kid they like they seem too almost adult but they sink in as you grow up and you realize oh, yeah that's what my mum was on about she had really big ideas that you should not be afraid she was like the queen of yolo before drake started saying oh wow YOLO. so the person that I know today, definitely hearing that for the first time, I can assimilate what you're being told then to sort of who you are now. You look into things a lot deeper than other people would and you're super, super articulate and believe in, I guess, this affirmation and what we'll talk about a little mm-hmm. bit later is your yep. plant or purpose, which is based mm-hmm. around affirmations. So just to recap your childhood, you were the artist, you weren't really accepted. Mum, 100% tells you you do you do you yeah you 100 percent do you she told me the story she says i i said to her is this even if i went to prison mom said i will still love you she's always talks about unconditional love yeah. and i definitely feel that through my nan and maxine her mother she's like that too she's got such big love for the kids my mom was the number one fan all all day every day but the problem was i guess why i mentioned the two upbringings they felt almost polar opposite you've got 
my grandparents who have a very structured, linear view and a very strong influence on how you should think about life. Yeah. And I, I just had this battle going on all the time. Should I take the liberalist, liber, liberalist view that mum sort of um, proposed and just really just do me and just um, experience you know, what, what life has to offer and just use all my talents in the way she, she kind of meant it in a, in a really freestyle way. Yeah. Because she believed that she was a bit of a case of Rasara. She was like, whatever will happen, will happen. You know, where my, my grandparents sort of wanted me to do it the, the university way and stuff like that. And I used to always just battle with myself. So the affirmations and stuff we, we can get to a little bit later. Yeah. All the things I use today to help me in my mind are things mum always used to say awesome. today. I tried it the other way and it helps. I, I believe in structure. I think even as a human body, we have these bones and stuff like that. We, we have gravity. So there, there, there to me is an order of things, um, but it's how you use it. And there's also, we also, I feel, I believe we have a spirit yeah. and, and mum kind of spoke to, to more the spiritual side of things of kind of go with the flow. Cause I used to beat myself up a lot about stuff. So mum fully accepted me anyhow I turned out as far as to become, yeah, it just, yeah, she accepted me fully. Lessons. So I was, I was going to ask you about what lessons you learned from childhood, but that seems like the, the message that you do resonate with most. Would you agree with that? It, it definitely does now. I definitely believe in, you know, I believe we are born and we die. Yeah. And everything in between that space, I feel is up to us. Yeah, awesome. Before we fast forward to your story and share what it is you've come here to tell the Open Up community, mm -hmm. have you, obviously that being a big lesson and a guiding light of some sort in your life, have you ever told your mum what that lesson means to you? Have you ever expressed what that's done for you? On occasion I have. Maybe it's a Mother's Day or maybe a random day yeah. where I think about her and my gratitude. Um, I just send her a message or I call her. Or, or sometimes I feel like calling her specifically for that thing. Is that uh, Was that even right? Or should we just be in the moment and ask her how her day is? Yeah. And that it, the fuel for me to get to calling her on that day was just thinking about her. Um, I... No, I feel like I've got more to express. And I've been saying this actually last few days with my sisters. I said, yeah. to, her, I said to my sisters, there's so much stuff that, because there's stuff, this is the Open Up podcast probably. Yes, I've it is. left something major out that I've just realized that's had a huge impact on our lives, especially going through our teens. Something that was revealed to me about mum. Well, oh, this is hard to share. Um, yeah, mum... Yeah, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> just flow. Yeah, let's just, just flow. flow. Alright, we just flow. So, okay, so we grew up and I, I, I think I lived in some form of a, an illusion at some times. Mum grew up... And what do you mean up, What do you mean by that? What do you mean lived in some form of, of oh, an illusion? It turned out... I'm just going to float. This is open. Yeah. So it turns out later in life we didn't know this, but mum has this huge gambling uh, addiction. Yeah. And um, she used to, sorry, mum. <laughs> she used to tell us that she has to go get groceries. And we'd be like, okay. And so we have to look after ourselves. She used to say, she would say stuff like, 
don't answer the door, don't answer the phone, I'll be back in like an hour or two. And um, the truth was, the truth was that she'd come home at like 10 at night and we'd, we wouldn't have dinner. And um, she'd come home with the groceries and a story saying, oh, I'm so sorry, kids, like, oh, I got caught up talking with your auntie. And uh, do you remember your auntie? There was all these sort of stories. We were kids. Uh, we didn't know what was going on. I think TV and yep. video games and all that kind of blocked out a lot of it. But we were hungry. So we eventually, after days of this, we would start cooking ourselves a feed. We'd cook eggs. We'd just have wheat books and stuff like that. So mum used to tell these stories. And um, all the way up till I was growing into a man, I believed some of these wow. f- ridiculous stories. It's a long time. What so age did this start and I finish? Think, I don't know when she was really going through it, but I recall being aware of it when I was about at least 12, at least 12, 13 or 11, somewhere around there. That mum wow. wasn't hardly home in the evenings. She did her best to like, keep us safe with a few advices like don't do this i'm just going to be up the road it was these stories that were the worst part because i believed them really crazy stories and yeah. i guess if we go back to what i was about to say before i opened up this is a mini open up to the open up <laughs> we've actually went through a massive hardship we had a big family meeting where sort of outed mum i was about 19 no i was 21 yeah um brought it out into the open with my sisters and my my stepdad and all that and had this massive discussion and um i sort of still feel the pain from it and there was a lot of resentment for a long long time and and the reason why it's come back full circle now is because through the gratitude a lot of that pain blinded us from these incredibly amazing things that our mum used to do yeah which i take into my lessons of life today with my son and just the way she loved us the way she tickled us and played with us and kissed us every night we were the type of kids that if we went out, even as we were teenagers, she was like, you better call me, boy. Like, we always called mum. And I was like 16, 17, you know, they're like seeing girls and stuff like that. You know, you feel like you're an adult. Yeah. But one day I didn't call my mum and she called me. It was like the next morning, wow, she ripped into me. And so she's got this massive love. But, you know, my mum probably has a, her own open up story at some stage that um, leads to why why she was struggling with, with um, that particular addiction and but it had a massive impact on us anyway. Yeah, I yeah. can I can see why. Yeah, I mean, you had to go through that as a kid, dealing with her her lies and the gambling addiction, mm-hmm. obviously outing her as well. Putting all that aside, like you said, she did love you profusely, and she did give you all the love and care that you needed growing up. Yeah, obviously she's influenced who you are today, which is mm-hmm. someone who I know to be someone who's seeking change, not just for himself, but for everyone else you i mean you've got this amazing project with plant of purpose mm. <laughs> if you could say something to her now that you haven't said to her before what would it be i think i've just said it in <clears throat> different ways but i see in pictures i'm super visual so it's just a time by the windowsill when mama has this heart to heart with me and it was more about the consistency of her love her every day a kiss good night every night a kiss good morning every morning and that strikes me because today uh, for those listening i'm a dad my son is um about to turn nine in march and i don't have him in my life today i I was a single dad a couple years ago uh, in australia and just uh, toughing it out and uh 
one of my sins that I feel is like my inconsistency, something I really want to improve, want to be better at. And man, I guess for my lack of consistency, I love her for her consistency. Yeah, that, those are the things I remember. And I was just having chats with my sisters. They were like, "You remember that time Mum used to do this? And she does that, and she tickles us, and we would set up the mattresses in front of the TV, like to have movie night, and oh, you awesome. know, those kinds of things, man. Like that's why I love Mum. So. No matter what you went through with that addiction and any, I guess, negative feeling you had towards her, she showered you with love. Yeah. When yep. you look back at those times, is that what you see? Yeah, 100%, awesome. bro. And I see it through her own mother because my nan and Maxine. So nobody's perfect. People have things. They've got a thorn in their foot from an experience maybe they've suffered from. Rather, instead of always looking at the worst part of somebody, if you just look at the greatest part of that person, bro, you'll see... The love and the light and yeah. this just amazing stuff about people. And I, I see that in my nan and how she is. And, and then I see that in my mom. So that's cool. I try to hold on to that. That's awesome, man. I'm sure she'd be glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm going to have to call her now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call her after this. You've got hey, to do the match. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, so you said you went through that stage of outing her at about 19. Was that right? Yeah, I, I was 21. Uh, we've had a few sort of confused fights. Yeah. But I, I guess when somebody's um, when somebody suffers with like addiction or something like that, man, that their ability to come up with some kind of story and excuse is incredible. And I'm definitely not saying I'm not like that. Yeah. I'm 100 with the excuse king. I'm sure, and I probably still practice some of those uh, today. <laughs> but um, she just had the wool over my eyes forever. And it was actually important for me, as my sisters were younger than me, I started to, uh, I was a whistleblower. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like the famous whistleblower. Still I was, the Assange. I was the Assange of the family. <laughs> I said, hey, sis, if mum says, can I borrow? <laughs> there was a couple of those those moments. I said to do not let mum, you know, get away with this. Um, for her own betterment, too. Yeah. I, I think part of it was about. Really quickly in a sentence or two, what lesson have you taken from that? Love unconditionally. And I say that with a different view because when mum used to say it, in my head it was a fairy tale. It was uh, romanticized. Love unconditionally is really, really hard. Yeah, I've later learned. I held on to it like a kid believes in the tooth fairy. Like, yeah, love unconditionally. I love my sisters. Until, you know, later on in life, you've got people that you love and they bite you in the ass. And it's really hard to love unconditionally. Yeah. But it's easier to love unconditionally your children. I don't know why. It's just kind of is. They're just. But it's you, like, it's like having a piece of your heart outside of your it, chest. That's it, man. In a physical form, with eyes and a smile. It's it's <laughs> an amazing thing. So now that I've found the struggle of loving unconditionally, it's all about try at least. Yeah. To just just to use love rather than fear. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Fast forward. How many years to your story? Two, okay, so between, there's a cool story about the architecture thing too, like <laughs> getting towards that. But um, I guess the story I'm here to open up and share with folk, I have only ever shared it with people I've met face to face and a little like meeting or just family and stuff like that. But that would be between architecture, just a couple of years actually after architecture. Yeah. That year, that year itself was huge. And do you know what year that, that was? That was 2013. 2013, and how old were you then? I was 23, 24. 
I had a partner. We had a we were renting a house. She was in the army. Yep. I had a little baby. He was four. A stepson, whom to this day I still love and think about. Yeah. He's like a young guy right now. Oh wow. Um, that was me. I was 125, well 123.5 kilos. Wow. I remember. I was massively overweight. I was heavily, heavily addicted to video games. Been playing video games since I was four, nearly nonstop. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was me. Carrying on with your story, you're 5'10", 125 kgs? Yeah, it's just under yeah, there. So you, so you would have been quite overweight then. Yeah, I was a circle. <laughs> just playing video games, you got yeah. two children and a partner. Mm-hmm. So walk us through the rest of your story from walk there. Walk us from there. Um, the, the stuff that I shared about my childhood... So I was stuck in between these two worlds, uh, a worldview that my grandparents kind of had and, and, and my mum telling me to be free. But I, I lived a life super full of fear, bro. I was scared to play rugby. I was scared to do this. I was scared to try. I met my son's mother when I was just turned 18. Yeah. I was still a kid. I was still a teenager. She was, she was a few years older than me. That actually, I actually fell in love with my son's mother. And there was this still piece of me, this piece that was left behind of this pretty scared person so yeah fast forward i was addicted to video games probably i didn't want to face the world yeah i wanted to play video games it was a sense of escapism um it's easier to run a character an avatar around on a video game than to go outside for a run yourself yeah i was not into sports and all those kinds of things when i was a kid so i just created a comfortable place for me to live i honestly I'm grateful for that guy because that guy passed on the torch to me when yep. I went to do my changes. But that guy, who I was, was not bringing the value he could have. Full of potential, full of full of creativity, full of ideas, but none of the action. And I still struggle with this today, yeah, um, massively. But that guy, man, he definitely needed to change. I I feel like if I was looking back, he he was a bit of a a dead weight a lot of the time too yeah. scared to face the world that's okay. simply it too scared to face the world and what would you say he was going through mentally mentally during that time so we talk about addictions like i haven't been you know what do you call that diagnosed properly but playing video games since i was four mum used to work at a video shop so i used to just get free games continuously wow. all the way up into the age of 23 24 okay and um he would numb himself but so that when i was doing that stuff back then i was angry man like super angry used to used to get into arguments all the time you said you were using video games as a form of escapism as well what was it that you were escaping from um i think to some degree it wasn't i wasn't happy with my body and stuff like that yeah yeah i was escaping from i think responsibilities responsibility what responsibility that if you do something then this can happen and whatever the result is it's on you yeah you have someone who wants to live mediocre because he doesn't want to try something and the result is really shit if you do something really good which when i was growing up i was pretty good at singing i was good at drawing from a young age Mm -hmm. you kind of measured on those metrics like the better you are at doing this means the better you are yeah and I, I i don't know if i consciously thought those things looking back um, that's what i thought anyway hello 
sort of took a toll where you, I guess, safeguarded yourself and as a self-defense mechanism, you sort of stopped trying? This is how I used to draw. I used to lie on the floor, pencil and paper, drawing. Every day, almost like meditation. I was yep. in flow every day. That was the only thing I didn't do. That was the only thing I did do when I wasn't playing video games was drawing. And you're constantly critiquing yourself. If you're trying to draw a human being and you're trying to get them right, you're just constantly rubbing things out and, and re-going. So there was, a, there was a slight awareness, but my awareness was heightened and super sensitive. So if you're drawing a hand, let's just go for example, you're trying to draw the wrist. If the knuckles or the bones, you've placed them wrong, you're seeing it instantly and you're wanting to edit it straight away. Okay. So I guess in my life, in my outside world, the moment I do small mistakes, this is incredible because this is I'm just realizing this. Yeah. The moment I find a tiny mistake, whether I'm learning to drive and I, I did a wrong turn or I brake too soon or I... Yeah. I ha I almost hated myself for the tiniest mistake. Uh, I'm realizing now, those are my earliest times where I noticed many failures. Okay. Not even a huge failure. And that's why I, I guess I used to react to the tiniest things. That's what um, used to be remarked on me. And I guess in that meditative zone when I'm on my own as a kid for years, yeah. I was like, oh, F sakes, this bloody knuckle's not right or... The hair's wrong or the shadow's wrong. and That's, that's a pretty big realisation to have. How old are you now? 29. 29, <laughs> wow. Is that about 10 years in between or more? Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, that's I know. I, I guess it makes a lot of sense. You know, I've done some meditations. I use a guided one, so I use the Calm app. And I pressed play on one that's about perfectionism. And that one, I've had to listen to that two to three times because that's one of the things I struggle with is perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Stops me from just going, you know, just okay. go without judgment, just keep moving. It's better if you keep moving. Yeah. Um, the biggest place I learned that, honestly, was when I went to study architecture. When I studied architecture, so much happened. Yep. The biggest event of my life changed. It uh, happened at that time. Um, a lot of self-awareness and realizations and also probably the first year I felt the, the sense of depression like I said earlier I think my case is a little bit different because I grew up pretty happy until yep. later okay but um I had this amazing teacher man she changed my life Megan Lutton I'll just give her a little shout out I haven't spoke to her ever since I was at school she just used to see the potential in me like like many have but she said to me because I'll be doing some sketches that I know to this day are pretty sick but I used to yep. throw those sketches out in the bin until I had the final product and I wouldn't document like how I got to the final product. It's oh, like okay. people struggling today with Instagram showing just their perfect self, yep. but they don't document the thousand times it took them to, to get the right photo, right? So she used to say to me, dude, like why, you know, why do you do that? Why do you throw those good ones in the bin? I want to see your evolution. I want to see the evolution. And um, she showed me examples of the greats. I knew no one in the architecture world like I was totally new to that world. But she said, she got me out this book and I think it was called um, The Sketchbooks of Architects. Yep. And it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw, man. It was this book of these famous buildings that standing today in New York or somewhere. But here's their idea when they first had it just on a serviette with a coffee stain or even right next to it, there's a little shopping list. So that architect 
was not precious about, you know, that became a real building that you can, that people marvel over and look at it yeah. today. But when you look at when they first thought of it, they just scribbled it down. And I was like, I've got this totally backwards, trying to be the finished building at the end. Yeah. And it's just not real. It's fake. Same like with the Instagram and people struggling with all that stuff, man. You just you're just getting yourself hooked on what's fake. Show the process. It's beautiful. That's what I want to say anyway. Awesome, bro. So, before we went off on a tangent. Yeah, we went off on a tangent. We, do. we always do. <laughs> That's what we do. Before we went off on that tangent, we we're leading up to your story. Mm. Um, obviously, you're talking about how you were using escapism through video games. Uh, had your partner and your your two kids. Yeah you weren't happy with yourself at all. What happened from there? From there, put things into context. She, her job was, I swear to this day, probably one of the hardest jobs in New Zealand, um, working 30 something hours, sometimes no rest, looking after people who, who are going through suicide watch and all this crazy, crazy oh, wow. stuff. She's dealing with baggage that they're not even trained for. She wasn't your regular soldier. She, there was a, um, it's an actually it's an awesome program. Yeah. Uh, through the limited services volunteers, I don't know if they they may not want me to mention those things. It's called the LSV, and you get a whole bunch of kids and and people from it over NZ between the ages of sixteen to twenty five who are struggling with like heavy stuff. Yeah. And she was working with those kids and leading them and and trying to show them their potential through a, a military sort of program with discipline. Okay. Um, so that was in the home and we're living in the military camp. We're there for like three to four, maybe five years. It felt really long, but it could have just been three years, but it felt like five to me. I I haven't really counted. Um, she was away a lot, man. She did these six week stints at times. She was away for a week or two and that would be out in the mountain ranges and, and the ice cold rivers and taking them on these, these massive, Wow. walks kilometers man she's really she's a girl with a lot of grit and she's really tough and she was super passionate about helping these kids yeah i was at home with the kids so like going back to what you're saying about i wasn't the rugby player i was the artist i had this massive fight in my life of this duality of being a bit of like my stepdad would call me a bit of a porter yep. a sensitive guy i was looking after kids i was changing nappies i was the dad at home yeah most of the time we were like opposites. I was like the mum. There's a lot in there that kind of speaks to things not going right. Me being too afraid to do what I truly wanted to do. Yeah, and she was, was always telling me, oh, just to give things a crack. Do you want to, you want to design a book? Give it a crack. Do you want to design video games? At the time, I wanted to design video games. Go give it a go. Even getting me to the architecture thing was a, was a huge push for me, but that that's another story that came to me in like actual dreams. I was just a scared guy inside and hurt people hurt people. If you're not living up to your potential or your purpose, whatever those things are, you know, they seem quite elusive sometimes, but if you ain't living or doing those things, you're depressed. Okay. I, I feel eventually you ain't gonna be happy. And that was my case. Okay, so you brought up your, was it your stepfather? Calling you a puffer? Oh yeah, he's calling yeah. me. A, he's like, oh, you're a bloody puffer. I can imagine that mm. when you're an adult, you take that on the chin and you just laugh it off. But as a kid, if you grow up being told you're a puffer, mm. and then eventually you become an adult who's, especially a male adult who's mm. looking after the kids, 
you'd start to consider that maybe you actually are and that maybe you're less than what you're supposed to be definitely less than what society expects you to be yeah i'm just wondering what sort of toll that had yeah on you especially in that time you're just reminding me bro so going through my teenage so i did i did ask myself how come i don't play with the there were a couple of boys that used to go hunting pigs we come from the a bit of a bushland and yep. they were like pretty grunty kids and i just definitely wasn't like that but i'd, I'd have a few punch-ups with those kids so i was always battling i was like man, like am i a poofter but how can i be a poofter when i always like girls you know yep. i was always interested in only girls i like girls and um so i did have that battle and it wasn't until i was like 14 i did take a girl home yeah um and one day we were in bed together at home next morning my stepdad bangs the door open boy what it and he got a massive fright slammed the door and he was a little bit upset and then and i, I just thought you know i didn't think much of it yeah because like that teenage stubborn sort of yo i was just like what are you proud of me <laughs> um nah next day mum sort of said um can i speak to you and i was like whoa can i speak to you yeah yeah what about dad's really upset that he was got a big fright you had a girl in the bed with you i was confused i was like, here you call me a puff though all the time now here's a little bit of proof in, in my head thinking i'm not yeah and um, he was frightened. I was like, now he's a poofter. <laughs> like, oh, oh, so oh, now uh, it was kind of confusing for me. I felt a little bit like that was proving that I, I, I am not. But um, to this day, I, I think it's kind of like wrong thinking today. So I used to battle with that. I, I, I guess sometimes I felt like I had to uh, prove it. So I would be my normal self. I don't I don't arc up. I don't chest out. A lot of moldy boys from where we come from do that sort of stuff. Yeah, of course. Now, getting back to where you were, I guess you were saying that uh, yeah. hurt people hurt people? Yeah, I believe that. Hurt yeah. people hurt people. And you were saying that you were down, you were depressed. Mm. Take us to that turning point. Right, so hurt people hurt people. And I, I didn't think I was hurt. I have never had the, I shouldn't say never, there might be some <laughs> other open up sessions a year down. But I haven't had anything that was majorly traumatic happen to me. I feel like it was the accumulation of not living to your full potential, whatever yeah. that means, and not doing what you really want, what you really love, making up excuses for it and not showing up as, as how you just want to be and how you could be. You start becoming angry. You start becoming pissed off. You blame other people. You blame circumstances. You just make up excuses and then you start making some mistakes. It feels like I'm overeating, but we'll get to the point. There came a time I was studying architecture. I was learning things about myself yep. that actually, in fact, things that I think about can be real things. So through the process of studying um, graphic design and in architecture, we built sculptures and stuff. And I loved the fact that it was a thought and that school, that training, that sort of discipline made me make an actual thing. Mm -hmm. And it started to sort of crack open like you're stuck in a cave and then a light comes through that actually all these thoughts and ideas that i've been sitting on my whole life oh you're an ideas man but no action yeah this school taught me when you take action things happen so thoughts become things yep. and that was proven to me i started to do really really well on the design side um and that just i, I was it was i was revealing more of who i actually am to me 
whilst this was happening. Now, this is where the real shit goes down. Yeah, okay. Do you want to to have a drink first? So, back to it after our little drink break. Yep. You were saying this is where the shit goes down. Yeah. Yeah. I'll cut it short because I I could go on a tangent, but um, I was in architecture school, CPIT, that's Christchurch Polytechnic, and um, they developed a a love interest. Yep. We'll just go with that. So I was with um, my son's mother for eight years and went to school, went back to studying, and I made this friend, like, that's that's honestly legit what it was just friendship and laughter and all these nice qualities about you know that you see in someone so i never would have thought that anyone would see anything in me yeah something developed there and it um it took away and was that your your son's mother or I i was with my son's mother and when I was going to study, okay. I, I and you made, made a friend, friend? And, okay. yeah, and this developed into something that it, um, yeah, just developed into a love and interest type A love thing. interest, okay, like a romantic love yeah, interest? Yeah, it became that. It started off as a friendship. Yeah. Um, and I'm really careful to not use any excuses. It's been a while since I've told the story, so I can tell it without any, like, crying or anything like that, but, um. Yeah, you know, I made this really close friend and everything seemed awesome that in this space. Mm-hmm. When I'd go back home, surviving of only like three to four hours sleep, raising kids, when my missus would come home, yeah, honestly, man, I, she'd be so wrecked from the job that she was doing. I'd be helping her with her military pack. And if her boys dropped her off, yeah, um, she would say, don't carry my pack in front of the boys. I'm like, oh, sorry, I have to let go. And then they'd drive off in the van waving goodbye. And then she'd just crumble. Oh, oh wow. She'd just fall, man. She was... I Then I'd pick up her military pack. It's, it's a heavy thing. I'd take her boots off for her. Mm-hmm. I'd undo her laces. I'd try to help her with her uniform. She's literally falling, falls to the ground. And the kids are waiting for dinner. So I used to have this routine to get everything so, so good. But when she'd come back, home was like this really hard place in a way. And i try to make it the best place I could. But there was arguing. There was me not being the kind of guy I am today. That, that would have really helped. I wasn't working. Yeah. I was just playing the games, and my excuse was that I can't get a job if I'm like this, looking after two kids, you know. And you, you, she did used to go away, but they, those were just excuses, man. Yeah. So you were playing the games. You, were you studying at the same time? When I started studying, I quit the games. I okay. mean, I didn't want to, but yeah. like there was no time for it just because the city was actually a bit of a bus trip away and I didn't have my license. Home life was just a different, and I don't know if there's people out there who knows the story from either side, but I, I'm, I messed up, man. So home life wasn't the greatest. It wasn't, it was like we didn't used to talk about the kids. She was so tired. She, I, I, I would talk about the kids and she just couldn't, honestly, she has no capacity for it. It was just a job. And um, there was a hole there. So I used to have this friend, we'd travel to, from our area, we were kind of rural, and we'd go to the city together. And there, I used to talk about, even my partner, even the kids, life, I used to just be able to talk about everything. And it was cool, I was just literally just mates. And then it just developed into this thing. So it was almost like this 
this side was sucky and this side was conveniently happy and nice over here yeah and this fantasy story my mind was telling me that this is so better and nice and awesome and this girl's cute and all these other things yeah. of course or like you were using the video games as escapism from your reality mm. sort of using this relationship as escapism from what was your reality at home yeah. with your relationship with your partner yeah it was a massive betrayal on my part okay um this is what drove me towards suicide um the guilt the burden i yeah um it was a massive betrayal on my part i fucked up yeah yeah you fucked up and after that what happened walk us from that betrayal to the point where i guess you felt like you were actually going to commit suicide so there came a time where i think we we're having dinner with a friend now this is i'm really tracing back in real time because i forgot about these memories that have just surfaced now yep. we're having dinner with a friend and i left my phone there and i went home and she stayed there to finish up uh, maybe do dishes or cleaning up or chat with her friend because he was struggling with some stuff anyways i went home i don't think i quite fell asleep she came home she had my phone and she said to me she said oi what is this and she started to go through all my text messages and in a way i wasn't i didn't feel bad that my phone was left i like i wasn't hiding the secret like some people really cheating on their partners or something yeah. like that so i didn't mind that it was it was there and she would pick it up and she read it because I knew I wasn't actually, I didn't have a romantic intention. It was just like, this chick's such, I just love her. I love the friendship between us yep. and the, the mateship that we had. But when she read the text messages, my son's mother was crying like, look, read these texts. And all they were were things like, good morning, hey, how are you? How's your project going? Or you should see my design. It was just this constant communication, just mm -hmm. like normal folk would have that was lacking somewhere else, lacking in our relationship. Yeah. And when she's showing me and she's crying, she asked the question eventually, and let me just get to this point. She's crying. Before I could really explain how it felt, she said to me, do you care about this girl? Yeah. And I said, and I answered the question first in my head, which is not always the best, but I, in my head I was like, do I care about this girl? What does care mean? I think about her. I, you know, I started yep. thinking through, and I was like, yes, I care about her. And then she, massive reaction. She was destroyed at that answer because maybe the story in her head was different to my story. She so started we, scratching me before up. Before we and, go any further, was this betrayal physical or was no, it? No, it was just, she could just see it in our texts. She's like, why do you say good morning to her but you don't say good morning to me? So this, so this what you call betrayal wasn't exactly cheating. Um, at the start, was it? it was texting okay. and then that reaction, this big fight, she scratched me up with her nails and stuff like that. And then she just started taking it out on me. I couldn't explain it. We're arguing. But by that stage, no one's listening. There's no communication. Yeah. It's just a massive fight. And then you just start pointing out the holes in that person. And that person starts pointing out all your holes. Okay. Then you start getting angry and frustrated. First time in my life, I went to see a counselor to talk about what was going on. And I didn't know how to look for one. I had to like ask somebody I was going through this situation. And finally got there and uh, the gentleman said to me he said look Jude for things to happen like this as open up there has to be a hole in the, in the relationship for something to go in something had to have left 
Yeah. And he said, you already got a problem before that happened. And I went down that um, sort of track with talking. After the badness of it, man, we were fighting. We were saying really toxic, yuck stuff. Yeah. That hurt people would say. Okay. Hurt people, hurt people. So it's, we're having this bad, bad exchange every day. We're only living off three to four hours sleep arguing all the time and then my brain was starting to say oh, no, I wonder if she does like me the way I maybe could like her maybe it could be physical nothing no, I can't be physical I'm this overweight big ugly behemoth that's kind of what I felt like yeah and then um, also while studying I eventually asked her because I did start to like her that way yeah and then it just came out that there was a, a little bit of a common interest that you know I said look there were six marriages already destroyed through your line of work mm-hmm. um she was saying well why don't you quit your studies and we just start again she'll quit army i'll quit study we, we didn't know how to do this man yeah. that's part of the problem you've got people who don't know how to solve the issue i didn't want to leave study because of financial reasons and and um she ended up quitting the army finally she was i think she was seeing someone for help as well but by then it was too late things were happening okay. she moved to australia with her sister we had this idea maybe if she goes away with our son find a new job to get out of the army yeah and my my plan was to just finish off the year yeah because there's a deal when you're studying you can do like a year and then you can take a year's break okay so we were like six months seven months through my studies so let me just finish off the last few months and then i'll meet you guys in australia but we're still toxic we're still fighting we're still hurting each other and um, there came a time when she asked me, you still have feelings for that girl? And my answer was still, yeah. And she said, it's over. And I was crying and upset. I was really caught in this two worlds thing. Yeah. And it was just killing me. And then I just I just took it into my own hands and kind of just um, physical stuff started to happen with the other girl. Okay. And that really nailed the nail into the coffin. Yeah. And I just hated myself at the same time. And, yeah, and why did you hate yourself if at that point it was over? Well, she just said it was over. And then there was a few days actually after, like two, one or two, which is not many. Yeah. But it was like I just did a wrongful act and dragged her deeper into it too instead of, um, you know, stopping it. I was just, I found that I, I couldn't stop. And, yeah, what was the question? Just keep going with the story. Okay. So, I think I felt bad. I... I used to think all about hard work she did in the army. Yeah. I thought about the sacrifices. I thought about how I've just been this useless piece of shit. Yeah. For all these years and and the things that we argued about, which I actually can't remember, but they were really really hurtful stuff. And you start dwelling on all those things, and you just see actual sign of it. Like I am this piece of shit. I am useless. I am not a good dad. I I I did betray her. And I didn't think I ever would have done that and it happened and I just believed it. I just thought, yeah, I'm a piece of shit and started having suicidal thoughts. Okay, so from your betrayal and starting to get that inkling of feeling like you want to commit Mm. suicide, where did it go from there? So um, I was still pretty adamant that I'd finished the year and there was a lot of... There was heaps of stuff going on in this year, man. Uh, when, we're at, when I was studying, there was a lot of um, allegations of uh, sort of a, ra- a racial conflict, I think you might call that, yeah. um, unfair scores with regards to myself and 
going through heaps of crazy personal stuff as well. I had all those projects going on. I was just utterly overwhelmed. The thing about the suicide was I just felt like everyone would be better if I was gone because I felt like I was just causing misery everywhere. Yeah. I was causing misery for the girl, for the, for the, for the girl we're talking about. I felt like I was creating misery for my son. That one was really the worst for my son and for um, my stepson. Yeah. Causing misery for, for the child's mother. And I just had this solution that if I am not here anymore, then everyone will be happy. Yeah. Mm. I can understand why you'd think that way. I mean, having a kid, like feeling like you've betrayed the mother as well as the kids and then watching them move to Australia, I guess that heartbreak, not just for yourself, for your ex-partner and most importantly, watching your kids mm. and that heartbreak they'd have to go through leaving you. Mm. I can definitely understand why you'd feel like that. That's something that wouldn't be easy to deal with. Mm. And, you know, what, from there, uh, did you want to pause for a bit? No, nah, it's all good. No, nah? yeah, okay. So going through that heartbreak mm. and then having that thought that it'd be better without you, did you take things into your own hands or attempt to take things into your own hands? Uh, yeah, so especially, you know, when my son caught the plane and he's four and yep. he's very, this is why I was choking up, he started to cry. And I just felt like, fuck, what have I done? And just, I remember him being this little kid lost. He just walked away from his parents. He's only four, but he went around the corner by a shop. I was like, what the? I said, son, come here. And when I picked him up, bro, he was just crying. He knew something was wrong. And he said, dad, I don't want to go. And that was, that was hard, bro. And then, and she felt like, I, I feel like she knew it was written in stone that it was done and that I was going to mess up and, that was massive heartbreak as well. And all of those facts, yeah. given that I'm a detailed person, right down to the little, you know, when I'm drawing as an artist, I look at these tiny little moments in life and they are the ones that started telling the story yeah. that you're, you're a dog, that you've done the worst thing ever. And that story was repeating itself like a movie over and over and over again in my head. Mm-hmm. And so at the stage, I was so blessed and lucky enough, a good friend set me up with them. I live with some dear, beautiful people. Half the party wasn't happy I was staying at this house just to finish off the year, yep. but the other half was more than welcome. Beautiful people, like they've left a big impact on, on my life more than they even know. But I was sort of not welcome. One lady, she's like, wanted me to move on and either I was going to Australia or somewhere, but I, I was renting a little room in their house. Yep. And they had this beautiful view of the, the cliffs and the hills and in Christchurch, given that it was like um, after earthquakes and stuff, whilst feeling suicidal, renting a room at a house where I partly was not welcomed in. I was, but they really wanted me out. Yeah. I was spending my time with no car, no license, finishing off this illustration. I finished off the year of architecture. I felt homeless. Yeah. And there was times when I was just, I just try to stay out of the house all day, all night, try leave super early in the morning, like six in the morning, five thirty in the morning, and then come back at like ten, eleven or midnight. Wow. So I ended up I was lucky man, like when I was finishing off the illustration work, I was doing that work at libraries. Yeah. And um I just remember coming home and seeing the hills and thinking, I just wanna go up there. 
Yeah. There was a story story told to me that someone had tried to commit suicide off these clips. Mm-hmm. And I, it didn't come to me that that's what I was going to do, but I thought, man, I'm an unfit big dude and don't move my body much. I just wonder even I, I just wondered what would the challenge be like to go up there, to yeah. actually go up really high and look down at the city at some stage. So I strapped on some boots and I did the trick. You need to understand I am not the kind of person that would have ever done that. But I did, and it was grueling, and I was super unfit. And I get to the top, and it's beautiful. All the while, I'm so numb. I'm both feeling suicidal and crazy, but I feel nothing. Because mm-hmm. this was after like lots of crying and horrible times. But I started going up there every day after I, I would work a whole day on illustrating this children's book. I'd go back to the hills, and I was going up there every day just to look down and then one day I made the decision that I'm going to go and kill myself yeah and I didn't know if I was going to leave a letter in my head I just wanted to write the children's book because it was a little bit about me and my son yeah just a beautiful day a dad and a son I I just wanted to leave that as a memoir or whatever not that anyone would have known and I just went up the bridal path it's called found myself a cliff and preparing myself to like saying goodbye in my head to everybody I loved including my mum who aforementioned my grandparents my son's mother saying goodbye to her and saying sorry sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry please forgive me please forgive me um saying sorry to my stepson I'm so sorry that I was just never good enough I wasn't a good dad I didn't do this I didn't do that yeah I never lived up to my potential and all those things and then when I came to my son Obviously, uh, yeah, for me, that was the big one. When I came to my son, I was just saying, I'm so sorry. And as I looked over Christchurch City, I, I, my tears are coming down. And all I remember is seeing him appear in the sky like it was real, like it felt super tangible. It didn't feel like my imagination. It felt like he could see me yeah, or I could see him. And I remember his face last when I left him at the airport. Mm-hmm. It's just so sad man for a four-year-old to click he was there in the sky i'm shifting my body off the cliff and then his life flashed before my eyes that's how it felt instead of my life it was his life i saw him with a beard and grown man yeah it was really fast i just seen him he's looking down he's lost he's confused he's describing to his friends that he doesn't have a dad or he doesn't even mention the story. He doesn't know why his dad did that at all. Yeah. It's got no clue. He gets over it, but he doesn't get over it. He grows up and then he's our age and there he is committing suicide. That's how it felt. Yeah. I felt like I would cause his death eventually. Mm-hmm. It seemed 100% real. Yeah. And from that point, what happened next? Well, from that point, because to be honest, the idea of dying felt peaceful. It yeah. actually felt, this is going to be good for everyone if mm-hmm. I just die. I felt elated first until I came to that little bastard who made me just, I ended up bawling, just just bawling. Like, felt like leaders gushing out of my eyes and just mm-hmm. my body was shaking and I went limp. And I just remember falling back, realizing, you know, fuck, I can't kill myself. Yeah, Because if I kill myself, it's going to, yeah just reality settled in that i'm gonna fuck him up i'm gonna mess my son's life up 
was so hard because I still wanted to go down there. Yeah. But um, I just knew it wasn't going to happen because of that. Awesome. So and that's it, sort of your turning point, beginning to put your son, his happiness, his well-being, his future ahead of your own. Yeah, I didn't want that to be his future. I didn't want him to feel lost. I didn't want him to feel confused. Even if I had wrote a letter, he would still be confused. There would still never be any of that stuff. And so I just screamed, bawling, crying. And um, after I let it settle, because it started to go dark and and the wind was cool, it was like really cold. And I was just like, just no more tears left. Yeah. I just said, oh, I guess if I'm not going to die, I just got to go walk back down. Because the house wasn't too far from this bridal path. Yeah. That's actually where the gondolas are. It's, it's super yeah. beautiful. If anybody <laughs> wants to go see it, you should definitely go see it. And don't think of my somber story. Just think of the beautiful views that you got north and south of there. But um, I started just, yeah, I got, there's nothing more to do. I got up, I walked down. I think I've told you this. It's just the strangest feeling when you are someone who's suicidal and you're about to take, you're about to commit to it. Yeah. And then there's these Japanese tourists walking up the bridal path. Hello. You know, they're saying, hello, hello. And I'm just laughing in my head like, man, you've got no idea what I'm going through. Yeah. But I just smiled and said, hello. <laughs> just, it was just this, a strange, surreal feeling that these people are so happy. Yeah. And I am so not. <laughs> As a friend, you know, I'm super glad that you didn't. Obviously, your family would be glad as well, especially your son. I guess if you had taken your life, then we wouldn't have what you have now, yeah. your now partner, Esther, which is yeah. Plants With Purpose, which I truly believe is going to change a lot of lives as you do begin this journey of bringing affirmation wow. mainstream. Thanks, so, man. you know, I just really want to acknowledge you for what you're doing at the moment and what you've come back from. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks so much. And saying that, I do want to go back and I want to know what lessons you've taken from that period in your life. The lessons I learned is that um, there's quite a few. It's, it's, all the, it's all the memes you see people sharing. Yeah. As cheesy as they sound, as cliche as they become, they're pretty real. It's about pushing through fear, that nothing grows in the comfort zone. It's outside that comfort zone. That... Uh, what did I what do I take from that time just to live more without the excuses and that you you aren't what happens to you you are who you choose to be yeah that's one of my sister's favorite ones but if you just well, I guess that's what your mum told you when you're yeah up. I know because it came back full circle that's yeah. why I have such a huge appreciation for my mum now because I'm really listening to her now yeah it's funny man they landed on deaf ears but I listen to her every day now. If you can relate that saying back to that time, mm. what exact moments would you say correlate with that saying and how can you show the people listening out there in those exact moments how that relates? Well, I, think, I, I believe we are made up of a body and a mind and a soul. I've actually got these three pictures just on my dresser, mind, mm-hmm. body, soul. And I think there's things you can do in the physical and the body there's things you can do for your mind and your brain, um, which are two, you know, they're different things. And there's something that you can do what feels like the soul or an experience to be yep. something, uh, this person, I am, me. Um, so going with the mind, I feel like 
you know, hurt people hurt people. A lot of people have this programming that happened from the day they were born all the way throughout. And you can see it with a lot of people. That's why people go to therapy and, and all these things to try and discuss stuff that happened before. Yep. Because those are, that's a bit of programming that's happened to us. These, we hold on to these beliefs, these words we tell ourselves in our heads over and over again. I am a piece of shit. Yep. I am dumb. I am blah, 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 all these bad words. And what I later realized is you have to prove those wrong. And because if you want to create yourself today, a, a different version of what you're currently experiencing, you have to push through fear and do those things. And the affirmations like we talk about, mm-hmm. the words we use, the words that we tell ourselves, they become, so they go from thoughts, which is, uh, you know, their mental yeah. energy, they're a real energy force. They become words. Once you start speaking those words, they become decibels. They actually, a sound you utter because you believe in it starts to come through. Uh, if I was to take anything from um, any biblical places, they said, uh, first was the word. Okay, so then you start having actions. So I, I'm just trying to rewrite the programming that I've had in my head for the last seven years with all these new practices like affirmations daily, yep. meditation and stuff. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that's what we we're going to jump onto next is, I guess, coming back from that turning point, you brought up meditations and and affirmations was there anything else that you used between then and now yep not just bring you back but to 180 and turn yourself around into you know someone who you do mm. see has value and someone who does provide love and this genuine nature that you do have now rather than yep. what you called betrayal yeah okay so when i when i did the big turnaround after going through a lot of um the depression that i was going through a lot of self-forgiveness the first thing I turned around and said was, okay, what is the opposite to, what's the opposite of the experience I'm currently having? I'm overweight. Yep. I've never exercised. I've never gone to the gym. So I just did that. I changed my nutrition because I always ate, you know, white bread and fish and chips and foods that are cooked in, you know, hydrogenated oils. Yep. I just started to say, if this is who I used to believe I am, who is it that I believe I am not? And what is it like to be that? Okay. And just turn everything into an experiment. The other thing That's is like... deep. Yeah. Do you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was one of the ones I had to do. I just said, well, let's go and do the opposite of what I'm doing and see what that space feels like. I had to use my video game addictions to help push me through because I knew that wasn't serving me. So I gave up TVs and video games since the architecture year. Yep. And pretty much, I treated my body like the game character. Okay. Yeah, so I learned a bit about nutrition, and I changed everything about my body. Eventually, that helped me change my mind. My mind was always trying to improve, trying to hold on, but I was still very negative towards myself. I still hated myself for a lot of things back then. And so that's where I started, just doing that stuff. And so with your meditation, how often from then to now have you been doing it? It'll be almost daily. I I've got a major goal for this year for it to be daily. Yeah. But I, I missed a couple of days. I started late in 2014. Okay. I think it ended 2014. Uh, it was introduced to me. I was listening to a podcast called uh, The Model Health Show by Sean Stevenson. Yeah. My favorite one. Got to give him a plug, man. He's changed my <laughs> life legit. Um, but I heard that he does it, and I thought that's incredible that he doesn't really mention it a lot. 
but he actually does it every day more than he exercises. So yeah. I thought, what the hell is that about? I became this guy who was getting into like the exercise. I started to get a little bit buff and I was enjoying that. But I was like, why does he meditate? I just thought like gurus with genie pants do that. Yeah. Like I it was just way, I didn't expect it. So I had to give it a try. And then I felt, I started to feel, I definitely had, had an enlightenment moments, but they don't happen all the time and that's okay. But what, what happens later is this calm nature, this ability to to think before you do stuff, which yep. is huge because we always react. I think Viktor Frankl says between something happening and your reaction, there's a space. Yep. And that's 100% true. We react like there's no space there, but there is a space for you to just pause and think, okay, this person says something horrible to me. I can choose to respond differently so rather than reacting we have the responsibility to respond it's our ability to respond and having that more in control and i felt like meditation breathing exercises all those things help you to have that yep. as a as a tool and so you said that you thought it was for people with genie pants <laughs> what does meditation mean to you now oh man meditation to me firstly means about self-awareness because it's about how you how you show up in the world. If you take on the belief, which I later adopted, that everything happens pretty much because of you, that means that you should learn better about you. And um, meditation to me is just about self awareness, noticing your thoughts almost from like a third perspective. Like yeah. you're floating up. It's weird how you're you're still you, but you can see the other you. Uh, like your ego or these thoughts that aren't you. and So I guess in one sentence, if you could make it really brief, what does meditation mean to you now? Meditation to me means to have the ability to have more control over your thoughts and your responses. And if you have more control in your thoughts and responses, you can be a better version of you. Yep. Awesome. So how often are you meditating now and what are your session lengths? I was using um, Mandra meditation. So I'm, I'm down in Dirty South, baby. What's up? We're down <laughs> in Mandra 6210 represent. But otherwise, I use the Calm app. I did use Headspace. Yes. But And I did the 10-day the free trial thing. I'm pretty sure people <laughs> just live on their free day, their free trials yeah, for as long as they can. But I actually uh, am a yearly subscriber to the Calm app. And your session length? At session the length, um, I'll do between 15 and 20 minutes. Awesome. Just That's quick really little good. daily bits. Yeah. So just to throw a little bit on top of what meditation is, what I see it as is the space where you have to really acknowledge what thoughts, I guess, pop up into your mind. Mm. Because obviously we have 50,000 plus yep. thoughts per day and mm -hmm. we don't necessarily control those thoughts. So meditation is that space, that time, that we allow ourselves to acknowledge those thoughts and then choose which ones we sort of roll with throughout the day and which ones we really just acknowledge and let pass by. Yeah, that's true. It's sort of like choosing your friends. It's um, <laughs> yeah. instead, you know, instead the the friends yeah. are the thoughts in your head. So you choose which ones you you want to keep around, and then you notice the ones who aren't really giving you back what you give yeah. them, and so you just let them be, and you know, let yeah, them flow cool, on. That's a cool analogy. I, I think I said it wrong when I I said it like it's controlling your thoughts. It's it's not so much that it's more being aware. Yeah. And because sometimes you're out there in the real world and you're about to react, but if you take time to meditate, you 
what Viktor Frankl is talking about, that space, you can increase that space and really spend time with it to think of what your responses are. Why do I feel this way? So it wasn't really about controlling the thoughts. It's just acknowledging that they are there yep. and it's having that space and time to let those thoughts pass. Okay. You're talking about Viktor Frankl mm. and Man's Search for Meaning, mm -hmm. an amazing book mm -hmm. by its own right. Is there another book that, say you were to gift someone going through a similar struggle, is there a particular book you would gift to those people going through those tough times? Yeah, okay. Something um, that's helped you through. A book that I would gift that really had a positive impact on my life was The, F the Four Agreements Okay. by, uh, by really, Don Miguel. Don Miguel. Yeah. And really quickly, what? Don Miguel Ruiz. What did you get out of that book that you think would help others? Oh man, I was in a real dark time, and this is more recent, but it was about a year ago. Yeah. And um, I just got, so you've got to download the audio book, okay? It's an audio experience because the guy that's narrating the story has just such a tone of voice that's just quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. I had to listen to this book from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed every day because of another dark patch that I went through. We could open up later. Yeah. Um, but that book just helped me understand the truth. And I think truth is searching for the sense of truth. I, I find books like that really important. So Four Agreements, he talks about um, like the way you use your words, back yep. to words again. Um, that's actually, I think, the first agreement is be impeccable with your words to mm -hmm. yourself and to others. He actually tells this little story that um, the words are so powerful that there was a man in history from Germany who was able to use his words to become a driving force behind very intelligent other Germans to go and kill a whole bunch of other people. Okay. So words can be used in a really wrong way. Mm -hmm. He sort of urges you to use it for good. Those are one of the agreements. Um, do your best. And if you know to yourself that you do your best in life, yeah. you will never carry guilt, which of course I used to carry a lot, like a lot of guilt for things and because I wasn't doing my best. Mm -hmm. But if you do your best, you go to sleep happy. You sleep like a baby that night. If you were drinking the night before and the next day you didn't do as well, but you did your best mm -hmm. given the state, then that's still your best. So you can lean on these agreements because they're so, they're principles, they're truthfulness. Yeah. And they just help me get through really tough times. So awesome. four agreements, major. Sounds like something I need to Yeah, to. bro. Honestly, I love that book. But if you get the audio, because I've yep. got the physical one as well. But get the audio, man, because there's something about his voice. <laughs> Everybody that I know that I've got that, they've got that book. Yeah, they're just like, oh, I just fall asleep to his voice. It's awesome. just the soft-spoken man. I'll definitely give that a go. Yeah, check um, it out. So I noticed while we we're talking, you're talking about a dark patch that's come up more recently. Hmm. I wanted to ask you if you've ever fallen back into those tendencies that uh -huh. those suicidal thoughts. Hmm. Has there ever been? <laughs> A time from back then when you were on that cliff seeing your son and breaking down from then to now to my surprise as i thought i was cool and lost 35 kilos and yeah. look at me i'm so happy and better yes <laughs> put it plainly yes and actually it was in the open up um your open up community i remember asking about how do you stop them from ever happening again and yeah jason said you know it's not that easy life is not linear you can't because i wanted to come up with a formula yeah. that's gonna save all our lives <laughs> but there wasn't uh, it wasn't that easy so yeah i did fall into a <laughs> suicidal patch and suicidal thoughts okay. uh, it was really to my surprise yeah. and, and actually are you okay sharing that do you want me to 
yeah, it's going to be a bit of a spiel. I'll, I'll do. I'll do my best to keep it short. Yeah. So I, I came to Australia. I practiced celibacy. I I didn't have sex for like nine months, man. Oh well. Yeah, no pat on the back. <laughs> With yourself. As well? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, for months, yes. But I was like, damn, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna yep. have to kill someone if I don't um, bust another at least. <laughs> But anyways, uh, you know, uh, life was getting better. I was, I was exercising. I was having fun with, you know, being a single dad and all that kind of stuff. And I, I dated a girl. I had this girlfriend and um, she was much younger than I. I discovered that I have a bit of a, a broken bird syndrome where yeah. like, you kind of meet someone who's going through tough stuff. And I, I don't know if that's just because I was too or I'm just super empathic, mm-hmm. which I am. Actually, my sister's always mocked me about it. Yeah. Pretty sensitive dude. But I, 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 yeah, I dated this girl who went through some stuff, and I just, it's just, uh, I just loved her and thought all the stuff that happened to her, she can get through, and all those kind of things. So of I stayed in this girl. At the time, though, I was uh, super hungry for success and stuff. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I started getting into online business and um, started to try a couple of business ideas, and they flopped and. Because of my life change, I was definitely keen on pushing through fear and yep. like just give things a crack life short, you know, so I was, I was gunning for it. And at the time, I was working as a barista for, for, from four in the morning till later on in the day. Then I'd shower up. Then I'd go to my son's school. I was mm-hmm. helping naughty kids at that school. I wasn't the best, but I had my working with children. Anyways, so I was um, helping. I was, I was working two jobs and doing some graphic design stuff. Yeah. And trying to start a business. Those were my focuses. Okay. I didn't have my eye on other stuff happening around me. Uh, story short, cousin came over from Melbourne. Haven't seen him since we were kids. Okay. Uh, we were super tight. Loved him heaps, man. But he wanted to jump on the bandwagon of positivity that I was getting into. Awesome. He's seen my posts. He's seen I lost weight. He's kind of reaching out for help with that regard. So we tried to get in, into the program. I'm not a trained trainer, so I, I didn't know how to school him. But, you know, to encourage him to do better. Mm-hmm. So he lived in my house. Um, he didn't have a job yet. And that was cool because got a big heart, whatever. Um, but at the time, my girlfriend at the time was starting to develop a relationship with him. Yeah. They were kind of like flirting with each other on, oh, on text. Wow. The thing is, I, I didn't see it coming at all because I was so focused on wanting to do business and grow and make money. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, just... It all revealed itself one night. We're in Bunbury, you know. They, we were had we're kind of like business partners in this thing. Me, the girlfriend, and, and her mother, and they were having dinner. But I had to go home really early the next day, so I said, "Hey, I'm going to leave you behind." And my cousin stayed with them. Yeah, which was which was kind of okay because we're all just like friends and hanging out all the time. But now I know why. <laughs> um, so I had this really serendipitous feeling that. Hey, something is up. Something feels weird. As I was leaving them at their Indian restaurant, he waved goodbye to me in a really weird way, and I just thought, "What the? F- what was that? Yeah. What was that feeling?" I stopped the car. I found a car park, and I went into the restaurant and had dinner with them. And they were shocked that, "Oh, oh, you're having dinner with us? I thought you were going home because you got work early tomorrow." I was like, "No, well, you know what? I just thought I'll have dinner too." And then, just like a revelation. It was obvious that yeah. they had been texting, flirting, because they had some kind of uh, dynamic between them. Some sort of chemistry. Some chemistry was going on. 
I couldn't swallow my food. I felt sick to my stomach. I just, I've never done this before, but I just left. And they're like, Jude, Jude, what's happening? And I just left, took my food, jumped in the car, drove home crying. I didn't fully know, but I knew. There was yeah. an intuition that I knew. Okay. Can imagine and and it hard. turned out to be true. Yeah. So yeah, they were texting each other and the mother was kind of helping the situation to happen. And yeah, I felt suicidal just because of the trail comes back around again yeah. and it's sort of like, oh, well, that's, that's what I get. Bit of a karmic payback sort of felt like. But just the fact it was my cousin and how I, I would never I would never do that to him, you know. And I've, I've worked through this particular problem too, but on that night I was driving home and I said, I'm just going to drive off the side of the road. Yeah. And I, and, and I double hated myself because I was like, oh my God, I'm having suicidal thoughts again. This is the first time in a couple of years I thought I'd healed myself from it. Yeah. So then I was hating myself twice. Like, oh, you're such a piece of shit. You feel like killing yourself again. So I felt like killing myself because oh, I wow. felt like killing myself. So <laughs> this is how crazy I think people can get and so i was going to drive off the side of the road but it was one of these crazy stormy nights here in wa mm -hmm. lightning like fork lightning was striking the ground thunder was going i was driving 140 k's and i just decided this is life again it's just happening yeah i'm going to drive off the side of the road lightning strike comes down boom crashes down lights up the whole you know the whole background the landscape looks like daytime all of a sudden with that flash of lightning and I was just about to drive off the road and I, this gave me such a huge fright. I did go off the road. I hit the gravel. My car wobbled wobbled around and I straightened it up to save my life. Yeah. And that's what struck me as really interesting. I just tried to save my life, but I, oh, I thought you wanted to die. So I was confused and I realized I felt like a spiritual thing. I felt like there was a sign just saying, you ain't going to die, bro. Lightning strike right there in front of you. And it just made me save my life because I got a fright and I just started crying. You piece of shit. You're about to do it again. Yeah. And I was just crying again. And then I laughed because of it. I laughed that it could happen again. So, yeah, there's a little story for you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't do that one either. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that for me, I feel, was really the last. I've had thoughts and pictures of bad stuff, but nothing. Because that night... I realized I don't want to die because why would I straighten the car and save myself? Yeah, I, exactly. I want to be here. I want to be with my son as he gets older. All of those, all of those things. I want to give things a crack. Awesome. I'm pretty certain now. <laughs> so going through that story, being on the cliff and then you falling back into that thought pattern with your, your cousin and your partner at the time, hmm. you know, luckily seeing that lightning strike and pulling yourself back, I yeah. guess, saving your own life, as you said, if we are doing some sort of contrast, if we're comparing the two, obviously your quality of life wasn't what you wanted it to be back then mm. in either moment. What would you say your quality of life is like now? Uh, my quality of life, to me, is heaps better. I'm so much more happier, I'm more content. I think the things I've developed through the meditation practices and affirmations have really genuinely helped yep. in a massive way. I think being aware of my social circle my friends, my family, having the right people around is, is a huge key too. Okay. Um, relationships are so much better. Yeah. Heaps better. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So with that improved quality of life, is there anything like a meditation or the affirmation that has improved it for you? Is there anything? Yeah. 
anything specifically? Uh, if we're going to go specific, I could talk across any of those topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, making them a consistent thing is really huge, but I actually practice a lot of things into one sort of routine. Yeah. But uh, let's just talk about the affirmations. Yeah. Just because um, that's a huge key thing for us and with Plants With Purpose, mm-hmm. uh, for those who, who may not quite understand, we've got this little business and it's called Plants With Purpose. And um, it's basically succulents and beautiful plants that have affirmations written on them. Yep. And like I opened up to Lachlan uh, one night, being friends, we talk differently away from microphones and stuff. He said, you know, what is the point of your business? Like, what, what do you do? And I said, I don't know, man. Like, we sneak love and light into people's lives. And um, he that said, is so cool. that is a sick uh, mission statement. Because, you know, it was actually Esther's idea. She has this crazy idea that, babe, I've got this idea for plants. And the, the jars that they're in, they're painted in chalkboard paint with these awesome affirmations and cool words. I think people will like it. Mm-hmm. Little did she know, because I didn't reveal to her that I suffer from depression and stuff like that. It yeah. was sleeking out because I was dealing with some stuff. And she didn't know that I'm a perfect customer for what she has envisioned. I, wow. So I kind of like helped her to build the business, but because I yeah. actually wanted it. I wanted it to happen. I wanted to be like her. She's so bubbly. She has these gratitude things. She does these workshops for people. And I was silently suffering. (laughs) So affirmations, reprogramming your subconscious mind to say good things about you is massive. It's massive on the upside. So being someone who's come from being down and thinking very, very little of himself to Mm. taking this path where you have basically co-founded a business with your partner who's traveling along that same path, taking on that same journey, and not just trying to change your own mindset, but the mindset of others. Mm. It's just amazing, and I'm excited to see what you do going forward with this. With Plants With Purpose, how do you see it eventuating? How do you see this sort of expanding? Yeah. Is there any business plan, or is there any any scope of some sort? So, you know, if I don't, I don't know if, people who are listening Lachlan will know this you know we're going to try some of these uh today we call them entrepreneurial paths and um we've had a few different attempts like I explained earlier Mm there's a couple of things I tried I tried to do this um car vinyl sticker thing and I realized I need to be more of a technician rather than a graphic designer and so I've tried a few different things for this it's totally open to our creative processes Um, we've come up with ideas where so we our biggest most winning thing are the workshops that we do we started doing workshops through libraries yeah we started off doing markets on the foreshore and that wasn't making much cash it was enough to enjoy a coffee and stuff like that but once we started doing workshops and giving people the experience of not only creating the succulent bowls and the arrangements and picking them but then teaching them about the power of words and affirmations okay we started to pick up things and Esther, um, I was FIFA at the time, so I was away for one event where she did it. She did it at schools, yeah. And the kids had to come up with the words and themselves. And there's the whiteboard out, and she That's said awesome. she loved it. So for this year, we we have it on our hearts to try and drive our message and our mission into a hundred schools. As a lad yeah. on the table, that's her vision. Yep, a hundred schools. I want to bring my artistic uh, sort of value to the business and i just wouldn't mind designing a few um like adult coloring books with the succulents mixed with words and use my art skills yeah and we've come up with the idea like i've said to you uh maybe a children's book 
haven't done one in a few years, but I think why not? Last time somebody else kind of, I, I, it was a real simple book, but generally I'd just be the artist for someone else who wrote a book. In this case, it'll wow. be us writing the book. And yeah, it'll be following our little story of a, an entrepreneurial startup from this girl with a crazy idea and a creative partner. Yep. Plants with purpose. They're just positive words on plants, like the word joy mm-hmm. or happiness or smile. It looks good on you. Um, these plants come to life and at night, overnight. And they actually trying to figure out what their purpose is. What, what am I? I'm this cactus with, a, with these cool words. It's kind of, in my head, it's like a Pixar, cool. Pixar style. So yeah, we'll see. We see how we go. That's that's sort of the vision. Well, that's that's an amazing goal, man. Like, yeah, you're obviously already working your way towards it, but also the aspect of trying to sneak affirmation in, like you said, um, getting love into homes, I guess. Yeah. But not just into homes. You're going to get it into children's lives if yep. you continue these workshops through schools. Yep. And this book, and eventually, mm. eventually, if, if it's when Lachlan you know, uh, calls you, me up and says, "Oi, have you?" Have you done any sketches today? Have you made sure you've done those bloody pictures? Yeah, eventually it could be the movie you want it to be as well. Yeah, 100%, bro. Thanks. Awesome, man. Would that be your mission? What you see as your mission or your purpose? Um, yeah, I, I, I did this little purpose um, experiment or thought experiment to figure out what my purpose might be. Mm-hmm. And what came out the most after a lot of frustration, this was last year, I was like, all I know is I like creating things and the things create feelings in people. So yeah. if anything's aligned to that and that ticks those boxes, then that makes me always feel happy. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so I guess moving on, now that we know that your quality of life has improved, you're happy with your life, you're happy with your partner, mm-hmm. your mission of sneaking love into homes with yeah. plants of purpose, these affirmations, you've obviously got a big goal for this year what actions are you taking to achieve that goal what actions am i taking to achieve that goal and i think this is really important because a lot of what you've talked about is depression or sadness tied to that feeling of failure Mm -hmm. which is something i struggle with as well so having having a clear goal and knowing the steps you're going to take in progressing towards achieving them is fairly important so it's, what are your steps? It's hugely important. Something that we do better to this day, uh, today than we ever used to is to not just talk about it. We can talk about it till the cows come home, but we have to see it. Yeah. And so we want to write these goals down. We write all of the things we want in life down. Write it down because as soon as your hand starts scribing on paper, your eyes process it. So there's this whole new almost neurological link to the way that you view the goal. It no longer is just this thought bouncing around in your head your eyes pick it up because you wrote it down on a pen and paper and now you're seeing it. It's getting closer to becoming the real thing. So you got to write those goals down. We practice the visualization. Um, For me, looking after numero uno is my number one priority. That means looking after me. Mm -hmm. And these are all the practices we've discussed. Because at any turn, man, if something happens and you go through those dark periods, it, it, it it takes you off course. Um, it may not end you fully, but it definitely slows you down. We all know that it's like carrying tons of weight on your back. Yeah. So I'm always trying to look after me. And I found out there's simple things, man. We're just adult babies. For me, if I'm too hot temperature-wise, I'm grumpy. If I'm hungry, I'm probably grumpy. 
if I have a there's just these little things that you got to do to look after yourself things that you would do for your baby but you don't do for you so yeah. you need we need to put our big boy pants on and so what I try to do is um, get a lot of the stuff that I feel like I need for me out of the way before other people wake up in my house yeah so I live with my sisters at the moment I just I just built a new routine since I've quit FIFO I'm living at home that's going to look after me within an hour or two and then the very next thing I do is look at what my goals are we've written them down mm -hmm. you've got the end goal you've done some reverse engineering like what is the step just before that goal what does that look like what do you have to do to achieve that yeah break that down into smaller chunks and then all of a sudden you've got this these little tasks and things that you can do as of now awesome. what can you do now and so what are your next steps as of now as of now so I, I did, like I said there were these little things quitting FIFO coming home those were yeah. big steps I've just gone through in the last awesome. two weeks congrats yeah cheers brother um, I can go back if I want to the boss said <laughs> he said <laughs> if you need to make some little side cast and come come back come back to work so that's uh, I didn't burn bridges that's really important awesome. stuff as well don't burn your bridges be honest um, right now we go back to the drawing board we look at our goals we see where we where we need to go um, there's things like the daily routine. If I don't look after me, man, I'm terrible. Everybody yeah. knows it. Esther, definitely, she's on the receiving end a lot of the time. And same for her. She's got stuff to look after her. We do those. Then we just break those steps down. See, um, she's always the one who's like the administrator and she knows our calendar. Yeah. I usually call her, hey, babe, what do we have to do next? <laughs> she should be on this part of the um, podcast, to be honest. <laughs> I just figure out what those are and we just tackle them. Cool. Mm. cool so one thing i really want to touch on affirmation is your your mission your purpose and now your business you talked about attaching visualization to that as well which i think is really important um, for anyone out there who's read think and grow rich mm. by napoleon hill yep. a big part of that book is the notion that every event that we've had in life that we remember really clearly really fondly is tied to a strong emotion and with your affirmations yes it is good to speak it into existence but to really convince yourself that it's yeah. possible you have to tie that affirmation to a visualization with some sort of emotion so you need to get really good at not just speaking through your affirmation and believing it but visualizing mm -hmm. that affirmation and drawing up that emotion how you think you'd feel in that moment yeah. when, you, when you actually realize that goal Mm -hmm. And what you do by tying that affirmation, that visualization to the emotion is that you convince yourself that that moment's already happened. Yeah. And so as you begin working towards it, your brain subconsciously thinks it's happened <laughs> and it allows you, it, it sort of guides you yep. towards achieving it. Mm -hmm. Just a little tidbit. <laughs> it's a good tidbit. I, I want to I um, segue from that. So before you started putting the headphones on and setting up this podcast yeah. i was taking those deep breaths yeah but i was visualizing and aff doing my affirmations awesome. because i started to freak out <laughs> and so the one that i was um thinking about yeah i was thinking about i am a natural speaker awesome. i enjoy talking in front of people yeah and then i saw this picture of me rambling naturally and telling a few different jokes whether they mock myself or others and I was visualizing and feeling that just before we pressed the record button. So my heart was still beating really quick. Yep. But I thought like, nah, man, I'm like a natural speaker. 
I like in, I like talking in front of people, so let's let's do it. Yeah, man, you can talk for hours. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so before you come here, I really wanted you to nail down a tutorial of some sort, something that's helped you. So is there anything really actionable that you feel someone listening to this right now could go away and do in one to five minutes to improve their life just that little bit someone who's struggling who's down like you were something yeah. they could implement right now that would improve their life man there's so legit there's so many things that i could think about but honestly the one that you've got to come back to and i have a feeling that there's going to be lots of people who would say this one is coming back to the breath yep that one has looked after me so many times and so if i was to um, help anybody if i was to talk to anyone Right now, if I could, mm -hmm. if they had the capacity to take in some advice, I would have to say, let's do some breathing right now yep. to take a deep breath in through your nose. You can do the belly breathing like mm -hmm. you've, you've taught us in videos before. Take it to the belly and then hold that breath. So a bit of box breathing. Box breathing is when you, you're breathing in and then you hold for a few seconds. You might hold for four seconds yep. and then you breathe out as much of the air as you can and then you hold empty lungs for about four seconds and then breathe in and do try and get those deep breaths down to your gut as calmly as possible maybe try go through 10 times that doesn't seem like much when we say it like that yeah but when stuff is going down you give that a crack it's it's actually 10 times is a long time yep. and you'll actually have a physiological state change Awesome. So talking about that state change, what are the physical and mental benefits of this? I think filling your lungs up with air, it was once said that um, the mind is like a kite and yep. the breath is the string. So bringing that kite into your control with the breath is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm messing it up. So it's yep. something that you use to not bring yourself back from, but sort of pull yourself away from those thoughts and just give yourself that, give you that, space. that space to... To rethink what it is that you're yep. thinking. I've used this. So it's the story about the cousin. Mm -hmm. One of my friends, he must have saw some messages that went public. And he private messaged me. Yep. He's younger than me, a young guy. And he said, hey, man, I just saw you write some weird stuff. He said, I don't know what you're going through, but I need you to do this. And then he just called me. And I was actually sobbing. He said, bro, it's me. Um, you just need to breathe. And you're going to do this. Yeah. And he told me exactly steps. He just said, breathe deep now, right into your belly. And I already knew about the breathing. I, I didn't really have the capacity to think about utilizing it, unless, yeah. you, unless you make it a daily practice of some sort, which we now do. But at, at, at that space, I, well, I felt it after seven seconds. You go from dark, really horrible thoughts, seven, sec, uh, seven reps of that breathing, you, you already feel different. And I, why by the time you get to the 10th one, you're pretty calm, actually. You're feeling quite relaxed. That is definitely something that 100%. people can implement right now. Yep. And I guess thank you for sharing that. Before we wrap it all up, or anyone who's gone down the road that you've been down, or who might be on that path right now, are there any words of wisdom or guidance that you'd like to give them? Yeah, um, to, to those people out there, I, I can't speak for your exact experience. But I can say, um, like I was saying to Lachlan off air, uh, I was just saying that one of the biggest things I hold on to is 
this too shall pass everything moves like clouds go by just just know that this too shall pass and there's this there's greener pastures for you on on this other sort of side if you can just hold on long enough the other major advice i give to you is to reach out reach out to people because there will be people who can help you that have gone through things too that can um that you 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 may feel embarrassed ashamed you might feel alone that if you just reach out to somebody it can make all the difference and if you can plug into a community of folk that are open-hearted and willing to help you and maybe for you it's about you helping someone else some sometimes in my darkest times being selfless was actually the right thing for me to do and um yeah that might be what you need to do thank you so much thanks bro much love and um for anyone wanting to get in contact with you what are the best places to actually reach out um best place to reach me <laughs> i think my twitter is called i am jude official um i might as well give the same email account to that one which is i am jude official yep. at gmail.com okay awesome awesome thank you bro sweet bro all right thank you all so very much for listening it has been my absolute pleasure to bring you this story if this has encouraged you in some way to open up and share your story as well make sure you click down on the show notes below there'll be a link to the open up closed facebook group as well as the public one where we post all our content but in that closed group you'll have the opportunity to share your story in a safe environment a private environment with the people who resonate with your story and circumstances people who can give you advice support and love now now if you like what we're doing you like the stories we're sharing and you like the mission the mission of making speaking about your feelings your fears your worries and your struggles as acceptable as it is to speak of a physical injury then pretty please head over to wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us an honest review an honest rating and also please make sure you subscribe that's going to be the biggest thing to getting these stories out there is having enough subscriptions enough people tuning in enough people sharing the podcast to actually make a difference and with that I say thank you so very much. Enjoy the rest of your day or night. And remember, it's always a good time to open up. Ciao.